America's original and oldest heritage pack company, Duluth Pack, hosts a podcast led by CEO Tom Sega. Real stories with real people who we admire, plus outdoor industry conversations, business discussions, entrepreneurial advice, and more. Now enjoy this week's episode of Leader of the Pack. Welcome, everybody. This is Tom Sega from Duluth Pack, and this is Leader of the Pack, the Duluth Pack podcast. And I got to tell you, I am so excited for our guest today. I just have not been able to stand myself for days. We have Alex Messenger. And I'm going to do a little reading before we actually introduce you, Alex, because this is pretty epic, folks. You got to listen to this. Alex Messenger is a Duluth, Minnesota author, marketer, and photographer who at 17 was mauled by a grizzly bear. I'm not going to stop there, but I'm going to take a quick pause. Alex and I have known each other professionally and, and, and seen each other at trade shows and, and around the country for years. And not once has Alex ever told me, hey, Tom, I was mauled by a grizzly bear. And when I found this out, it was like, I got to get a hold of you. We have got to talk about this. Then I bought his book and read it. And I credit this guy with having my wife ticked off at me at 2 in the morning when I wouldn't put the book down in bed because this thing is epic. So we're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about your adventure because that's part of the, the podcast is all about people with adventures, and you are you're an adventurer. <laughs> but let me finish reading this. In the decades since, he has worked as a wilderness guide and a volunteer search and rescue operator. His love of adventure, nature, and cultures has taken him all over the globe, but the North Woods and canoe country have always been among his favorite subjects. His work has appeared in the New York Times, Men's Journal, National Parks Magazine, Outside Online, and Backpacker Magazine. His website is alexmessenger.com. Welcome, Alex. This is so epic. I can't wait to dive into the meat and potatoes here. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's really exciting to be here uh, to uh, talk about this crazy adventure uh, with another fellow adventurer and a fellow uh, Duluthian here. So I'm really excited. Oh, you know what? We could go on for days. So let's get started here. Yeah. And uh, let's let's first talk about a little bit about your history because you just didn't start you know, 17 years old is what we're going to talk about today, the 29th day, your book, what happened on that, the whole adventure. But you actually started as an adventure because of your family a lot earlier. That's right. Yeah, I, I was really lucky. Um, I grew up in the Twin Cities uh, in Minnesota here, and um, my parents are the ones who really introduced me and my sister um, into this world of adventure and travel and these crazy experiences. Um, they were both teaching anthropology um, when I was young and uh, they, in their prior years, had done like field work in Central America, doing archeological expeditions and, and things in the jungle. And, and uh, by the time my sister and I came around, um, they were teaching. And so we got to go on these study abroad trips with them uh, for a month every year where we'd go to foreign countries and explore um, uh, the ancient cultures and the modern cultures there and, and just really be put out of our comfort zones and, and experience um, some pretty amazing things, especially for, for uh, being that young. 
And um, so we started out with that when I was three. That was my first international trip with them um, and all these students. And uh, not long after that, we started doing some uh, trips closer to home as well. Um, and then eventually going to the Boundary Waters with them. Um, they were uh, humble enough to, to know that they needed to learn from other people who had been there before and and uh, and got the gear that we needed to get out there and, and uh, went out into the Boundary Waters. And that was just a whole nother type of adventure. And, and my love of that wild place was just, uh, it started right then and it, it hasn't stopped. And um, two and a half <laughs> hours from home, too. You didn't have to go all yeah. the way across the world for it. Right, exactly. Um, which is really cool. And, and you know, it became a, a a summer a ritual of every summer that we'd go there and and um, learn something in every trip and and just sort of get better at at uh, exploring this amazing resource right within our own home state. And then so. you moved two and a half hours north to get closer. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Yeah. So, but before that, yeah, you're still living at home in the Twin Cities, yeah, and you start going to a camp. Yeah. Which we're very familiar with here is Camp Minogian. Yep. Yeah. Y- YMCA Camp Minogian. Um, my parents, again, you know, they understood kind of where I was at and uh, that this would be a good thing for me and um, signed me up for the eight day session, which was a Boundary Waters trip. And I was kind of uh, on the fence about it when I started. Um, but uh, once I got there and, and we got on trail, um, it was just like a paradigm shift for me. Uh, we'd, like I said, been, been going to the Boundary Waters for a long time, um, and I had a fair amount of experience, um, but it was just totally different to be learning from professionals, to be learning alongside my peers, you know, how to properly portage, uh, how to make amazing food uh, in the backcountry, you know, on these <laughs> minuscule stoves and, and pots and pans and everything, and, and, um, and how to paddle a canoe really well. Um, so my skills just took off as soon as I started working with Minogen and, and it was just amazing to to learn with them and to grow with them. So I started going back. What year, year was your year. first year there? So, well, I'll work backwards. So OMS was 2005 and that's what we're spending a lot of time on today. Yep. And then uh, the year before that was a, a month-long trip in our Western 2004 and then 2003 was Quetico and then 2002 would have been this eight-day session. Okay. So... Yeah. Build, building up to the bigger ones every year exactly. as, you, as you get more age, more experience, and, and yep. get to know more people that are at the camp. Yeah, exactly. And every time we're with a different group of people, so it's not that you know, you're know you always with the same people. I mean, there was a fair amount of overlap, um, especially as you get into the longer trips. But I think one of the really cool things is getting to experience these with these these trips with people that you maybe don't know as well. Um, you get to just... Um, learn how to work well with a very broad group of people. New life experiences, meeting new people. Yeah. I mean, that's what the that's what it's all about, right? Exactly. Plus, you're doing it in some of the most beautiful part of right. the planet. I mean, yeah. you've been a lot of places and a lot of cool places, yeah. but <laughs> it's it's like so many of us just kind of come right back to home here. Right. And go, you know what? We get a piece of gold here. Yeah, I know, and and it's funny. The the closer I move to it, the less I go to it. So I gotta find that. I found. I think Duluth is a that happy medium. But I lived in Ely for a little while, and <laughs> I uh, I didn't get into the Boundary Waters nearly en- enough. 
but crazy, uh, isn't it? But now you have a little one, so now <laughs> you got somebody to train and yep. start bringing in into yep. there and and uh, bring indoctrinate into exactly. the world of goodness. Yeah, I'm, I can't wait to uh, bring our son out into the wilderness. And he's been a he, he went on his first canoe trip, actually uh, canoe ride, I should say, a couple weeks ago. He's almost two. Um, and, uh, we, his first <laughs> canoe experience was, uh, in Lake Superior actually. And we often like, <laughs> might Superior. as well start with small <laughs> lake, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we, uh, we got in there and, and, uh, paddled, uh, into the canal a little bit and, um, that was pretty exciting. And he liked so it. He liked it. Yep. Beautiful. Yeah. So he's, he's hooked. It's, it's a, a good start. So perfect. Yeah. Okay. So let's fast forward yep. to your, your senior trip and you call it. Yeah, we call it Ams de Nord. So it's it's not proper French, but it's based on the French. Um, the French had a, a, a very long legacy of canoeing in North America with the fur trade and everything. Um, and a lot of the trips at Minogen are kind of um, named after that that heritage and and um, and kind of you know it's part of the inspiration of that. So worked up and got invited back on a couple of trips and, and finally for this Oms du Nord, which is uh, a 50 day session. Uh, this is a 42 day whitewater canoe trip in northern Canada. Um, so <laughs> I got a question. Why yeah. why that route? Now I know that in previous years I've read the book and 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 reread it and, and it's it's <laughs> awesome once you once you pick it up you can't put it down this is this is really cool you did a Thank great you. job of putting your thoughts and 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 everything that happened leading up to the 29th day and we're gonna get there folks <laughs> um and and all that you did a really good job i love reading nonfiction, and and uh you just you did it right Thank you. And, really and I'm not just that. saying that because you're sitting in front of me, <laughs> but, but you, you guys, uh, you, the route, let's get back to that. Yeah. You used to go, or Minosian used to go to yeah. one route and made a change, or one area, and made a change to this area because they had had run-ins with polar bears. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, Minogen's very good about, you know, um, reacting to and and being proactive about making sure that we're doing things as safely as possible um and you know not just <laughs> repeating something if there's a reason to do it uh, in a in a better way um so the long trips used to operate um in the hudson bay area so they would paddle out to the bay um and there's lots of polar bears in the in those areas and there were a couple of close calls um with polar bears, um, no actual incidents, and uh, you know, which is which is good. Um, but that was enough. They to, just waited for you. Yeah, right. They, uh, <laughs> um, you know, they elected to to change the area of operations to not be in polar bear country. Um, so it was more inland, um, more northerly. Um, most of the trips ending uh, on the Arctic Ocean or on Baker Lake, which is where our trip ended. So our route was uh, the Dubois the Coonwalk and the Kazan rivers. And to get started for this route, you have to drive to the end of the road in northern Saskatchewan and then hop in a, a float plane for, you know, hundreds of miles. And then that's when you start. <laughs> it's just way out in the middle of nowhere. So you're not starting from here. You're starting from already way out there, but right. I have 600 miles to go now. Yep. Yeah. Already starting up there. Yeah. So this route was chosen, and I know there was some some... Uh, discussions back and forth and a yep. lot of maps that you all went through and yeah. Dan was pretty instrumental in it, the, the leader. Yep. 
Yeah, Dan was our guide, and he kind of uh, looked through. He'd been at Minogen for a really long time um, and, uh, you know, uh, had worked his way up to this trip as well. Um, and so he came up with a couple of route options, and then um, the group of us got together and discussed, you know, the different the different trips that we could have and kind of what they would involve. And um, when we talked about the Dubois, it was it was really cool. And there's a, a section in the book where it's really fun. We talk about um, this exact uh, moment where we were looking at the map, and Dubois Lake is kind of the middle of our route. Uh, right before the middle of the route, and it's where we exited the Northwest Territories and en- entered the province of Nunavut. Mm-hmm. It's the largest lake in Nunavut, and uh, you know, on, on the, the map, map, it doesn't look that big. I know <laughs> <laughs> the lakes themselves aren't well; they're all huge, right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It, you know, when you compare it to like Lake Superior or something, it it doesn't uh, it doesn't have that same sort of presence. Um, but it's a really big lake, and. Uh, when we looked at it on the map, I could see that the taiga, which is the area of kind of scrub brush, smaller trees. Um, which is one of the biggest. One of the biggest biomes. In the world, yeah. if not the biggest. Yeah. So it's it covers a huge swath of North America, and um, I believe a large section of like Russia uh, and Eurasia is also taiga. Um, and it's really an interesting area um you know the as you make your way north uh the plant life just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and that next like big step after the taiga is tundra where there's no trees it's just like grass and moss and right no big uh plants and everything so this route what i really liked about it and i think some of the uh, my trip mates liked about it is we transitioned we went from um boreal forest and taiga to tundra and on the map, uh, that line went right across Dubois Lake, and I just pictured paddling from one side and just going into a foggy... Trees on this <laughs> side, no trees on that side. Yeah, exactly. Just this amazing transition. It's much more gradual than that. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't paddle across the middle of a lake. But uh, it was a really cool vision, and, and it was really interesting to just watch that transition over a period of time. Did you have to talk about it to actually notice it? Because, you know, you guys are, are pushing hard. You're working hard all day yeah. as you're doing this. And so it's not like you're staring around going, oh, you know, the trees are getting smaller. <laughs> Is this something at camp at night after you've set up, you've ate, you're, you're getting ready for bed, or you're writing your notes, and it's like, hey, wait a minute. Three days ago, the trees were bigger. Is, yeah. is that, I mean, that how it comes about to you? Yeah, it's, it's one of those gradual transitions where there wasn't ever like, oh, here we are here we are in the tundra. (laughs) It just sort of uh, became the part of the backdrop. And, you know, there's so many changes that happen on a trip like this that you aren't aware of. Um, There's a lot of personal changes, a lot of personal growth, and um, (laughs) you trim up a bit yourself. And, you know, we aren't looking at a a mirror, but... um, Maybe I ought to go on a trip like that, because I could use some trimming (laughs) up after this COVID. I definitely, the COVID-19 gave me COVID-19 right in the belly. Oh, yeah. Well, you definitely uh, end up uh, getting pretty lean on, on a trip like this. Your calorie intake is uh, less than your output. You're working super hard, like you said. Um, but you don't really have a, a lens um, that reflects what you're used to. Your normal life is, you know, you get up, you go to your job or you go to school, and then you come home and you look in the mirror. And um, you have all these these kind of things with which you can measure yourself and kind of see things change but when you go on a trip like this those are kind of 
they're not there. And so you don't have that thing to measure yourself against. And so all these changes happen kind of without you noticing, um, just like the taiga and transitioning to, to, uh, this tundra where there's just no trees at all. And kind of like you're saying, you suddenly realize that, Hey, where'd they go? Barren landscape. And it's a, it's an amazing place. That it's is just that, so unique. You know, I'm, I don't know if you see me, I'm just kind of staring around as you're talking. Cause I'm <laughs> trying to envision all this. I'm, I'm an adventurer. I've done some pretty cool things. I've never been up there. I've been pretty far north where, you know, it's midnight and you look at your watch and you go, hey, it's midnight. And it's like, oh, wait, it's still light out. That in itself is crazy. It, it, it <laughs> is. It's pretty nuts. Um, and, and But I've never, you know, been to where all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, I've, I've been lucky enough to fly yeah. to the tundra. But when you get there, it's the tundra, right? right? And so it's not that transition that you've seen and that you speak about in the book and that you're speaking about now that that, hey, this, this happens over time because we're working our butts off and we're, we're, we're making some miles, putting some miles behind us, and, and we're making it happen. And all of a sudden, oh, gosh, we have gone a long way because there was trees and now they're smaller and now right. there aren't any. So DuPont Lake, big yeah. lake. Yep. You guys made a decision not to bring spray skirts. Yep. Okay, I, that really, I honed in on that in the book because yeah. I'm like, okay, what was the thinking behind all of this? Obviously, I'm, if I had to guess, it would be weight. Sure. Yeah, so with that one, um, that was a, a risk management decision. Um, and, uh, you know, like with a lot of things, it's evolved over time. And, and now it's regular practice to bring uh, spray skirts on these trips. But the thinking when we went out there, um, and again, this is 2005. Uh, YouTube was founded in 2005, just to give you a little perspective. <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah. Um, so uh, it uh, it was a, a, a different uh, different era, and um, the thought was if we were gonna have spray skirts, we would push the limits more. That was kind of like the reason for deciding not to bring them. You know, if you don't have spray skirts, you have to paddle conservatively, um, sure. which is how we paddled, and it's how we would have paddled with spray skirts, and it's how uh, groups paddle now with space spray skirts. They paddle conservatively. What the spray skirts do is prevent a small um, accident or a small uh, mistake of some, yeah. yeah from becoming bigger um you know once your bo boat gets waterlogged it's a lot harder to control and this um, was this okay we're talking dupont lake but but okay yeah you get big waves and you get the spray skirts but you guys also did it some unbelievable river running yeah we uh we did whitewater um and again we were paddling conservatively but this was definitely there were definitely it some didn't big look sets. that way as you read it I'm, <laughs> I'm picturing not real conservative many times here when you're like Hey, you weren't one part of the book. It's hey, you guys didn't wait for us to tell you to go. Yep, yeah. So that was, uh, 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 you know, we got checked there. Uh, <laughs> it was important uh, to you know follow your protocols, you know, including wait for the go signal. So we're all human and um, get uh, get a little excited sometimes. But I mean, when you're in a situation like this and on a trip like this, it's just when you really have to uh, hold to your your protocols and um, and stick to you know the way that you operate so tell us a little bit about some of the terminology for those that won't really wouldn't know about it on some of the paddling terminology that you talk about in the book and that that you would definitely use specifically if you're 
you're in the river system. Yeah. Um, and some of the, the, the obstacles, the hurdles you can come up against in a river. Cause I'm, I'm known as a lily dipper. <laughs> I'll sit in the back and let the engine in the front do all the work. And I'm just back there being the rudder. And they're like, are yeah. you paddling? Oh, I'm paddling like crazy back here as I'm lily dipping. Yeah. You guys couldn't do any lily dipping on this trip. Nope. No lily dipping, you know, from, uh, huge lakes and big wind to, to rivers. I mean, it's just super important that you work as a team and you're both working really hard and on the river, you know, the bow and stern, the front and back of the canoe, they, they, uh, rotate. Um, you know, so one moment you might be the person that's steering the canoe, which is typically from the stern. And then in whitewater, you know, depending on the maneuver that you're doing, uh, suddenly that's the bow person doing that. Sure. So, um, you know, on flat water, uh, typically the bow person is the motor and the stern person shouldn't be ruddering. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell your paddle partners. Yeah. Um, they should be doing a J stroke or a C stroke, uh, to correct the course of the canoe. And, or in my case, I just sit in the back and I go, uh, you're just, and I'm, I'm just grunting. Yeah. I'm just grunting. Yeah. It's all for show. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, both positions can do a draw or a pry where you're push pushing or pulling away from the boat uh, to move your end of the canoe one way or another. Um, with whitewater, you do those, and, and um, one of the a couple of the most important things are upstream and downstream ferries, um, and that's where you uh, basically turn the canoe into a plane. So it sits in the river, and it's pushing, it's being pushed one direction, one uh, left or right, by the force of the river. So you're basically holding it in one spot and letting the the river push you from one side one shore to the other shore and uh that lets you you know i talk about paddling conservatively that's one way to do that is to uh, slow things down so that you have time to process and to respond so a lot of times people imagine running whitewater and you're just blasting down um or you're going the same speed as the river and and uh one of the key aspects of navigating whitewater is you have to go faster than the water or slower than the water. If you go the same speed as the water, you're, you're a branch and you don't have control. And then you have to watch out for some of the obstacles like strainers, like a tree, you know, imagine it straining something like a colander. Um, mm -hmm. That's a really dangerous obstacle in whitewater because things can get trapped there. You know, things like you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> your gear, your canoe. Um, there's rocks and boulders, of course, and then there's uh, hidden rocks and boulders called pillows where they, from upstream, they just kind of look like a shiny bit of water, but really the water's just pushing over it and there's like a waterfall behind it. And waterfalls and uh, downstream Vs are like what you aim for and that's what's between two obstacles and it's usually the cleanest spot uh, to go. So. And what's a recycler? A recycler is where the water's just tumbling um, and it's flipping around like a load of laundry. And, uh, if it's a big one, you can end up being the laundry. <laughs> um, and so you, you typically are going to avoid those. And it's just this, this amazing, uh, can be this amazing tightrope that you're walking down the, the set. And you had to be mentally really exhausted <laughs> on a, on a hard river run day. And you had a lot of them. You got to yeah. be mentally exhausted and physically, of course, but mentally too, because you're thinking about all these things that you have to do to stay safe. Yeah. Because the last thing you want to be doing is legs up, butt first down a river. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't want to end up in the water and that's the right way to do it. If you do, you want to keep your, <laughs> your feet up and your, uh, so you're not getting foot entrapment, uh, which is one of the big dangers if you end up in the water. 
I mean, it, it is uh, certainly physically exhausting. Um, mentally, a lot of the times we would pull over um, or do a prairie dog scout, depending if it was a small set where we were standing up in the boats and, and uh, if we can see the whole set from upstream, we'd um, scout it from that way. But a lot of times pulling over, getting on shore, looking at it and uh, thinking through it as a group and strategizing how we're going to approach this set. Okay, we've got this this set of boulders here. There's the downstream V. We're going to take river left. We're going to watch out for that recycler, and we're going to thread that needle there and then do an upstream ferry across to the other spot. And, you know, whatever that route looks I'm like. I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, with, like with anything, you kind of get into the rhythm of it. Um, but when you take that pause and you plot out your course, um, that makes it so that you're not making those split decision split second decisions and so that you have the capacity to make those split se second decisions when you need to and a surprise comes up or when you make a mistake which does sometimes a happen. lot of nonverbal and verbal communication during these river runs yep yeah um there's nonverbal ones for when you're further away and then when you're working with your paddle partner in your boat um there's all kinds of communication that's happening and then as you get to know your paddle partner um, there's a lot of intuitive communication that's happening. Um, you know how your partner's going to react, and you both know what you need to do um, just at that kind of <laughs> intuitive level. Sure. Um, so and, some, and you switched every day. Yeah. Some, some groups elect to have the same paddle partners for whitewater. For that reason, you really gel with your partner. Um, we switched it up every day. That would be kind of cool, and you get yeah. to know people better too. Absolutely. You know, just yeah. in, in a whole different sense yeah i mean regardless you get to know your five other people really well on a trip like this <laughs> so tell us about turtling early on so <laughs> I, I i'm an i used to be an avid duck hunter so i've been out in the cold weather where we're we're kind of pushing the canoe across the ice for 100 yards and i'm ready to have a heart attack and then you bust <laughs> the ice around you yep. you guys did this for miles yeah it was uh we, we talked about dubois lake it's this huge lake, and when we got there, it was 80% covered in ice. It's this and this huge is mid-July. Yeah. Yeah, this is mid-July, and uh, so that kind of speaks to how far north we were. I was just going to say, we're not in Kansas anymore, <laughs> <Right>. are we? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when we were fishing, you know, we were like, oh, let's put the fish on ice for later. <laughs> it's kind of nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, the ice was a huge obstacle. We knew we were going to potentially encounter ice. We had brought toe straps along with us um, you have pictures of it in the book yeah so it's like a harness and then it attaches to the canoe with a long rope and you can become a mule and tow your tow your boat that way um when you're on ice and uh that was that's great when the ice is firm enough for you to walk on it lovely um but there were some places where it wasn't firm enough to do that or we couldn't rely on it um to not break under our feet so turtling is this uh thing we devised where each person would kind of stand over their end of the boat and uh the, the stern person got to be in a pretty good ergonomic position your hands would be on the gunnels and your feet would be behind you and you'd be kind of running along like you're about to jump in the back of a of a uh, bobsled but the bow person had to straddle the canoe and so We'd be going along, just this ungainly creature, and then the 
ice would break and the bow person would just slam into the gunnels and be caught by the canoe and the stern person would you know do the same thing and kind of jump in and (laughs) after the first day of it did you find a few muscles you've never used before oh yeah it was exhausting what i really found was uh, some muscles i'd never bruised before Oh, when I was reading that, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound very funny. Yeah, that was... like, I can find other ways to punish myself. Yeah, <laughs> that was painful. I mean, it was nice because then you didn't end up in the in the drink. But how, uh... <laughs> how many miles was that in this this crazy time of of having to push a canoe like that over ice? It's and snow cone. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I. The snow cone was way worse than the turtling. The turtling, you could go pretty fast. As far as the mileage, I don't know. It was so distorted. I'm sure we were not going very far. It just took a very long time. But when we got to the ice that was, like you said, snow cone um, or candlestick ice, it was like pushing through slush. You know, we couldn't stand on it. And you'd try to push laterally to get the boat to move. And it was uh, incredibly grueling. And... uh, luckily we only had a like days uh, what's that days and days a couple days at least of uh this this ice travel which is more than i'd like to do again so (laughs) one of the other things is you guys kind of miscalculated your food yeah you know i was on a trip with my son and five of his buddies and one of my friends and myself and we got a different campsite. We were smart adults, and they all had one campsite in the Boundary Waters. We had like two and a half days left in the trip, so we're not on a trip like you, like 50 days, right? Um, but they had eaten every bit of their food. They had used every bit of their spices. They no had no oil or anything left for fish, and they come over and they go, can we have some of your food? And it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, what are we supposed to eat? You know, we're going to go home. And I said, well, I have the car keys. How are you guys getting home? So what we <laughs> ended up... tough love. <laughs> well, you know what? They got to learn some way. And you know what? Guess what? They were like 16, 17 years old. Yeah. So it, it made me laugh because I've experienced <laughs> this. So my son and his friends ate boiled walleyes. Nice. For two and a half days. That's all they ate. Boiled walleyes. With trail spice, which is... No, they didn't have which any. Which is dirt. Yeah, exact trail spice. Okay, the real trail spice. But that's what they lived on for two and a half days. And when we actually came out into Ely, the pizza hut that was in Ely. Oh, yeah. You've never seen guys eat so much pizza so fast in your life. Do you want but, fish tacos? Absolutely not. Yeah, exactly. So, you guys yeah. are on a 50-day trip. Yep. You're about halfway through and you're like, hey, something's not adding up here. And then we'll get into about the fams because we, we did some bartering and things yep. like that, right? Yeah. So um, our issue was mismeasuring. So we have, there's like a, a set of equations that we have for calculating how much of all these different ingredients you need for how many people you have and for how many days you're going to be out there. And it works really well. Um, and uh, what happens is if you mismeasure when you're doing that and you're going for this many days that ends up magnifying and becoming bigger so what we found is that we were i can't remember the exact quantity but we were short we were short meals um and luckily right when about the time we figured this out um we started to have a tremendous success with fish 
So we started to supplement some of our fish, and and we'd overpacked our dessert cabinet. Um, so that was nice. So we, <laughs> you dudes, <laughs> yeah. And it's a canoe trip. I mean, that's one of the nice things about a canoe trip. Um, with a backpacking trip, you're like, how many ounces of oil are we bringing? Yeah. And it's like a mindset that's hard for me to adopt sometimes. But with a canoe trip, you have a lot more latitude. You're like, all right, let's bring a bottle of oil and let's bring, you know, a bunch of, let's bring a bunch of bags of candy. Yeah, well, that, (laughs) wait a minute, hold on a minute here. That's if you're on the water all the time. Yeah. There's this thing called portaging. Yeah. You got to portage all that weight too. So there is some hiking where you're carrying everything here as you're portaging and, and you're carrying the canoe and all this stuff, which, which I've heard you in a different podcast that you say that you like portaging i'm the guy who looks for the shortest portages yeah i'm not against going on short portages but i just i love portaging i don't know what it is exactly but i mean it's a break from from canoeing i think what it does is it really balances it out you're sitting in a canoe for so long um cramped up you know at some point legs are sore it's outside of the knees are bruised if you're in the bow you know exactly or your knees are bruised if you're kneeling for white water yeah um, so, you know, it's a good opportunity to stretch, to change up the pace. I was just portaging, uh, a couple of weeks ago into Hartley Park. I hadn't paddled there before. Um, so it's a little bit of a portage to get to the, uh, the lake, uh, from the, from uh, the parking lot, from the parking lot. Yeah. It's not, it's not bad, but, um, you do have to, you do have to portage there. Um, and, uh, I just was appreciating the kind of static, uh, pressure massage on my shoulders and thinking about how when you're paddling all day, you know, there's not much of a break for your shoulders. And, and I think there might be something to that, that it just like is giving you a little bit of a massage. So well, <laughs> some people will curse me for comparing it to that. Well, but. Hey, by the way, <laughs> we sell canoe packs and it's the first time I've ever heard it as a massage. Yeah. So that's what we're going to say. We're going to actually deep we'll, tissue. Hey, mental note to self. We sell massage packs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. You're in marketing. You are yeah. a good guy. Yeah. So, but the, the thing I always hated on portages is, at least where I go, there's bugs. Yeah. So you obviously had no bugs on this trip. <laughs> That's uh, very far from the truth. I've never had worse bugs. I've never had bugs anywhere near as bad as this in the Boundary Waters or Quetico or anything. Uh, the bugs that we had were primarily uh, mosquitoes and black flies and they were absolutely horrendous we had to we had a bug tent um which uh was really important we sometimes called it our sanity tent and uh we all brought bug jackets and i bought some uh lesser one and then the guys who had the original bug shirt elite edition which you probably carry in your store uh yes sir (laughs) that's the one to get um is the uh the original bug shirt (laughs) um yeah, they they work really well, and um, I've never had so many black fly bites. So it was just wild. So the portages weren't quite as fun <laughs> on this trip when you knew what you get, even though it's a change. And and I do agree yeah. with that. Even though I'm I'm not a huge fan of big long portages, um, I'm I'm also very old. But um, <laughs> y- y- th- it was always the bugs that that 
I wasn't looking forward to on yeah. a portage. So always like, you know, a, a September trip or late September trip That's would always be kind of a nice gig. <laughs> but but you guys dealt with some some horrendous bugs and you de- you talk about the bug tent quite a bit. You actually talk <laughs> about setting it up in the wind and it was yeah. like everyone everyone grabbed something and everyone grabbed something really light to hold yeah. it down. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the wind was a serious thing up there. You know, as you get to the point where there's no trees around, the wind just has nothing to slow it down. So like, you know, <laughs> when you're portaging, if there's no wind, great, you can portage more easily, but the bugs are hanging out. And if there's wind, <laughs> great, there's no bugs, but you're fighting with the wind to carry the boat. So yeah, no matter how you slice it, they're a challenge. What's you know? the worst of two evil <laughs> at time? Yeah, so, exactly. So the book is called The 29th Day. We're up to day 1920. Yeah, because I kind of made some notes here along the book here, and and I have. Oh, so have look at this! Whole stack Do you see of this? In there. Look at this! I highlighted. <laughs> I wrecked your book, but you know what? Alex That's signed good. it for me, and so this is really cool. And uh, I did. I highlighted all over the book because there were so many cool things, uh, especially as we get to the 29th day. Holy crap! I wore out a, a highlighter, but we're up to day 1920. Yep. You see your first bear. Yeah. And you guys are in a big, there's a big canyon right here. Yeah. Yeah, this is at the end of Dubois Lake. Uh, so we finally make it through the all that terrible ice and uh, get to the end of the lake. And it's a known, a known portage, Dubois Canyon. And it was our first layover day. This is three weeks into the trip. It's our first day of rest. <laughs> and uh, partway through that day, we're... You guys decided, laugh, forget it. Let's just keep going. Let's, yeah, let's just go. No, <laughs> we were very happy to have that, that day off. I mean, you kind of, you know, it's the joy of work when you're on a trip like this. And it's really, it's great. Um, but you do need to give yourself a break every once in a while and, and just eat all day. Um, so we were doing that and partway through the day, I was standing next to, uh, my friend Mike and we were chatting and he just stopped and pointed at the far shore and, and yelled bear. And I looked and there was this grizzly bear that was hoofing it right towards our site. Same, like right on a, a straight line towards us. And, uh, as soon as he yelled it, it stopped, it heard, uh, it heard him and it turned around and it ran in the opposite direction. And that was really, uh, a sobering uh, reminder. Our, our route started outside of Grizzly Country, so we gradually paddled into Grizzly Country, and it was not long before uh, we saw it that that we uh, had entered their range. Grizzlies in that area are, are incredibly rare. We've been told by several people uh, who go there. I'm a actually lot. looking right now because <laughs> I'm trying to see. There's a quote in here from somebody who told you. Yeah, Bob O'Hara. There uh, you go. Yeah, he's a he's kind of the um, resident expert of of canoeing in this area and um so you know one of the things we'd heard from him is that your grizzly bears are very rare uh, it's unlikely that you're going to see one you know still we were prepared for for seeing grizzlies we talked about it we did training back at camp on how to use bear spray um and you all had your individual bra- bear sprays we didn't have okay. our individual bear spray and that's um every, so that's one of the things that i advocate for now and that's how camp uh operates things now is every group of people has to have bear spray with them um so that's a, a key uh when you're in grizzly country because if you don't have it <laughs> you can't use it and invariably you're going to need it we'll when talk you... about that in a little while here folks yeah, you gotta hang in there with us we're little... getting there <laughs> yeah so um well we, we reviewed how to use it we talked about taking out the safety cap aiming it spraying it and and what you do uh when you're in a group and then you know what you do if you're 
by yourself and you see one and you're supposed to speak calmly to the bear and try to show it that you're not a threat. Say, hey, bear, whoa, bear, it's okay, bear, and back away slowly. And whatever you do, don't run because it'll initiate their chase instinct. Yep. And uh, we went through all this stuff and... And, uh, and you had bear bangers and all that. Yeah, we had bear bangers, which are noise-making devices. And you set up your camp a certain way where your food is far away from your tent, which is far away from your cooking area, so that if you know it is attracted by, um, by something smelly, it's not going to go to your tents and stuff like that. So we double-checked what we were doing. And, and I just I remember turning to Dan and saying, you know, that's, that's the only way I'd ever want to see a grizzly bear in the wild is on the other side of a canyon like this with this amazing tumultuous white water <laughs> with the bear running in the opposite direction. And uh, I didn't know that I was foreshadowing what would happen to me almost a week later uh, on Princess Mary Lake. But, you, but you're in an area where there's grizzlies. It's yeah. like, yeah, you're probably not going to see one, you know, because grizzlies, they don't want to be around you either. Right. They really don't choose to be around people. Right. Um, but... But you're in their turf now. Yep. They're they're the apex predator. You're not. Yeah, they definitely are. These barren ground grizzlies, and their their range is just incredibly wide, so they rove a lot. Um, and uh, you know the other aspect of being at this point, we're we're in the tundra, so there's no trees, so you can see for such great distances up there. So the idea, the concept of like surprising an animal like this is it's hard to imagine a situation where that would happen. And now you're also up in muskox country. Yep. Yeah. So, so we were seeing, get, you're getting up there. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're in a whole different, uh, era, you know, we're kind of back to the ice age when we get to this point. Uh, it's a pretty crazy place. Can you talk a little bit about some of the landmarks you came across? Some of the ancient landmarks, whether it was for an old hunting camp, whether it was landmarkers for maybe hunters or maybe yeah. uh, people that were nomadic and traveling. Yeah. So um, the Inuit up there have, have been, you know, operating in that territory forever. Um, and so there's a lot of, and you can see forever, so it's not hidden by trees and things like that, that some of the things that they left. Um, so you'll, we would uh, come across a couple of camps every now and then, and those are... Um, typified by like stone circles where the tents would have been um, kayak racks that are arranged a certain way um, and then some kind of standing stone sort of uh, setups we'd also see um, these large inukshuks uh, which are essentially a cairn but they're made with enormous rocks and they're used for navigation they're also used for kind of uh, like funneling caribou during the hunt so um, caribou's eyesight's pretty poor and you get people together and kind of uh, get them to this, imagine like a fish net that kind of gets narrower and narrower um, where they drive these caribou to these uh, these sets of inukshuks that would drive the caribou and funnel them to an area where they would, you know, um, at that point uh, <laughs> dispatch them and, and harvest them for, for meat and That's fur pretty and cool. I mean, think it's about really it. Cool. You read about it in books, and I've read about it in books for many years, never seen one, yeah. but to then actually see these yeah. and go, wow, some, these people did a lot of work to build these things. Right. Yeah, and just imagining, you know, how much work uh, it took, you know, not only to build that, but just to survive in this incredibly stark landscape. Um, it was very cool and, and a great reminder that, you know, <laughs> we're guests there, you know, uh, and there are people that have been there for a, a much longer time than we have. 
So um, the other thing that, that really brought back the history was, you know, we talked about glaciers. There's these uh, eskers up there too, which are an old ancient riverbed from a glacier. So a river would be flowing through the glacier and there'd be sediment in it. And then when the glacier melts, um, it leaves this long ridge of sediment that's like this uh, mound that just stretches for for miles in some cases, and some of them are short, but it's like... How, how <laughs> tall are they? I was, I, I was trying to vision this when I'm reading. How tall are they? They vary. Um, so early on, we had some that were like 30 feet tall, and then we had Holy some that were like mackerel. hundreds of feet tall. Are you uh, serious? Yeah, they're huge. And the perspective is just very distorted because you have nothing to measure against. You don't have trees or buildings or whatever. So you can look up at it and be like, oh, that's a short walk. And then that's why people <laughs> need, to, need to read your book is because you, 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 you made the visualization of this. You did it really well. Where you. where you talk about um, just, you know, now I'm up there where where the landscape is so different than anything else we've ever seen. The landscape is, is, is so foreign to us that, you know, can I see a mile? Can I see 30 miles? Can I see 40 miles? Because it's flat, but actually it's not. Right. <laughs> um, and, well, you know, hey, I mean, here's what I would think. As, as, and, and I've been in grizzly country, but I've been in different type of grizzly country. In this one, I can see myself getting lulled into, hey, I can see forever, so they're not going to sneak up on me. The heck yeah. they can't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you just always have to have your guard up and just recognize that, you know, when you're in grizzly country, something can happen when you least expect it. And that's likely when it will happen. If you <laughs> if you leave your bear spray and go to the bathroom without it you know something's gonna knock on the door or whatever <laughs> if you're in a... exactly yeah so you know murphy's law comes into play it does so we're gonna take a little break in a minute here but before that i'm a huge lake trout fisherman <laughs> been doing it for many many years i don't even like you anymore <laughs> 17 years old you're catching a lake trout like that <laughs> and you're like you're just trying to catch dinner yeah. You're not trophy fishing here, buddy. Right, and <laughs> and uh, still we ended up with some trophies. They were huge and just uh, too easy. That had <laughs> made it hard to fish anywhere else. I'm looking at the picture right now. Like you were a young buck back then. Mm-hmm. Seventeen. I, if I shave, I still look like that. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I don't. I don't. So I'm looking at a picture of you carrying this thing, and it's literally at mid rib cage. And its fin is at your ankles. Yeah. And, hey, guys, we're just trying to catch dinner. Like, you know, I'm trying to catch just a little 15-incher for, for dinner how many to feed people? us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't realize you were Me inviting my everyone, everyone and none of it yeah. <laughs> to dinner. And then the bucket next door, when the fillets are in there, it's like, I want some of that right now. Yeah, those were steaks. Those were really good. And uh, that, that trout was just dragging our canoe around and... Um, that was the biggest one from the trip, but uh, we were catching big ones. And uh, I'm guessing <laughs> on mid, spoons, <laughs> mid mid twenties for weight. Yeah, I don't know. I caught a smaller one at the beginning of the trip, and it was hard to hold up. By this point, I was very uh, much 
more fit uh, after paddling that far, and it was it was easy to hold up. You, you know what? You probably didn't even care. It's like I'm hungry because we don't have that much food. I was just so stoked. I mean, I caught you know the biggest fish I'd ever caught and, and likely to catch. And just, well, you're like, not you're drowning. not well, you're not smiling in the picture at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Still. My teeth are just like this bright white line. And well, I'm glad to see that you were having good dental health, d- dental hygiene. Twenty some days into your trip too, yep. so that's good. Toothbrush, toothpaste, one of the most uh, like best ways to make yourself feel revitalized when you're in the backcountry. It's yeah. so funny. So. <laughs> Folks, we're up to day 29. Oh, boy. All right. So we're going to take a really quick break. Do not go away. The name of the book is The 29th Day, and we're at day 29. Hang in there. Get outdoors with Duluth Pack. Duluth Pack is your one-stop shop for all of your quality outdoor equipment and gear needs. Shop apparel, camping gear, hammocks, water bottles, pet supplies, saws and axes, canvas and leather packs, and more at Duluth Pack. Duluth Pack is the oldest canvas and leather bag and pack maker in the USA. Proudly made in Minnesota for nearly 140 years. Support American Made today with Duluth Pack. Duluth Pack, made in the USA since 1882. Hey folks, Tom Sega with Leader of the Pack podcast, special guest Alex Messenger, and we are at day 29, the author of The 29th Day. We're into it now. Yikes. So, yeah, no kidding. I'm actually, I got goosebumps right now. So, day 29. Yeah. It's a good day. It's a layover day. Yeah. All right. So, we're on this huge adventure. We're about halfway through. More than halfway. We, it was a forty-two day on trail session, so we're okay. Two thirds. Two thirds of the way through. Yeah. Worked your butts off. Got to this point. You guys can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're you're just ripped. Yeah, you've leaned out <laughs> and all this, but you're just in your you're just in your motion now, right? You yep. guys are just powering through, and and now it's just part of the day, and and away we go. And day twenty nine is something that is is. Oh, I can't wait to get there because this is a layover day and we're going to just eat all day and sleep and do whatever the heck we want. Yep, exactly. All right. (laughs) It's all yours. Yeah, so uh, we woke up and and started the day like any other layover day, which is, you know, you launch into breakfast and start thinking about lunch. Um, At this point, we'd been uh, overlapping with the the girls group, the FOMS, um, who were on a very similar trip to ours. Uh, FOMS? I mispronounced. No, we're mispronouncing. (laughs) It's like, I think it's FUM, but it's French. Um, So we we mispronounced the the names of these groups. But so these girls had been on a parallel route until a few days prior where our routes intersected and we um, ran into them. Um, but from the same camp and, and so we, uh, interacted with them and, you, you know, we talked about food shortages. They were, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Yeah, they were, uh, they had a food surplus, which was, uh, great to have them, you know, <laughs> suddenly on our route. Uh, so they, uh, helped supplant some of our, our food that we needed. Um, so we'd seen them off and on and we're kind of leapfrogging. Um, but this day, uh, we were taking a layover day and they were going to be paddling on and, and we were kind of waving to them from afar and, and they... These are high school boys and high school girls. Yep. You guys better be better, f- pretty focused on what you're doing out there. hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> 
we'll leave it there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they're, they're paddling past our island and, and, uh, and then they just turn and make a beeline towards us and they're waving at us and, and trying to warn us about something and we can't really understand what they're saying and they come up towards our camp and, and as they get closer, we realize they're yelling, bears impending doom. Um, and they had seen animals from shore uh, or onshore as they were paddling by and, and uh, they hadn't really seen much of any wildlife on their trip. Um, as they described it to us, uh, it was apparent that they were looking at a group of musk oxen, um, which, you know, uh, which is a little understandable without having seen them. Uh, but, uh, but they're dangerous on their own. Yeah, they're definitely something that we want to know. I mean, they're right around the corner. Um, so it's really good that that uh, we were aware that they're there. Um, musk oxen are straight out of the Ice Age. They're like a yak crossed with a bison and... And they'll charge at random, and they'll gore people and fight off grizzlies and things like that. So they're a very powerful animal, and they have this huge bony plate with horns and everything. So uh, we appreciated their warning us uh, about this wildlife nearby and um, said Bon Voyage, but it was a very uh, <laughs> a chilling portent in hindsight, um, you know, based on what would happen later in the day. But, uh, you know, we said bye to them, and, and we're going to see them again for the rest of the trip, and went on to our meals and after lunch um we were on this island and like i was talking about we're north of the tree line at this point um there's this huge island on the middle of this enormous lake it's 20 some miles from shore to shore at the largest uh span of the lake and so we're on an island we're safe yeah that's kind of the misconception that so many of us have right you know bears can't swim that's not true (laughs) bears can definitely swim um, and, uh, uh, you know, faster than you. Yeah. Faster than me. And, and they can run faster than me. And, um, you know, we didn't know that there was, uh, at least one bear on this Island. Um, but after lunch, everyone was going to head up to the top of this Island, which was the highest point of land around, um, you know, a couple hundred, several hundred feet off the, uh, surface of the lake just would be an amazing view, you know, switchback your way up, right? Yeah. Really steep. And, uh, everyone was headed up there and I was just really tired, you know, with a trip like this, I, you know, I'm a big fan of, of doing what you want to do and, and enjoying yourself. And, uh, at this point I did not want to go up there. I just wanted to take a nap. So I laid down and, and, uh, and took a nap while everybody else went up and was going to meet them when I woke up. But by the time I woke up, they were all back down and I just woke up with a start inexplicably and had this uh, overwhelming feeling that I had to, that I was late, that I had to get up this ridge and, uh, get to the top there. But you had slept quite a while. I had slept a while. Yeah. Um, I finally, I talked with Mike not too long ago about the the timing and it was hours. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to take a little cat nap. And... Yeah. I didn't set an alarm, which is appropriate. You know, there's no need for time up there, but sure. uh, yeah, I, I, I knew that I'd overslept <laughs> somehow. And so I just started up, um, you know, in earnest and, and all of them had come back down except for Dan, our guide. He was uh, in the process of coming down this very steep ridge. And I uh, started up, um, talked with him about what was up there, and, and then continued my way up, you know, like you're saying, switchbacks. I mean, it took me about 10 minutes to scramble up this uh, nasty scree and, and moss and find a, a good route up to the top. And you're the um, photographer. I mean, you yeah. have some of the equipment, so I'm going to go up here and, and Dan had told you to, Hey, there's some pretty cool photography 
yeah. uh, opportunities up here. Yeah, and the guys had been up there for a long time. They'd been reading, you know, drawing, taking their own pictures. Um, so I had my camera, which is a, a Nikon SLR, um, in a Pelican case, and that didn't make climbing up any easier because I had this, <laughs> you know, one hand was hobbled. And um, but yeah, I was gonna head up there and take pictures. And there was a, a an Anukshuk up there um, that uh, Dan had restored a little bit, and so I was gonna head up there and just kind of have my own time and and uh see what i saw and appreciate the 50 mile views um what the hell i'm on an island what's yeah. what's gonna get me here yeah exactly and um got to the top and the top is just this lunar landscape of just emptiness and uh, smooth polished granite and these boulders that were up to like basketball size and just very very stark um and because it was this high point it kind of <laughs> disappeared over the edges and then there's just this endless expanse of lake and tundra in every direction and so i'm walking up uh these rolling granite domes um and i didn't know it but there was a 600 pound barren ground grizzly bear walking up the other side of one of these ridges and we were headed straight for each other it's enough of a ridge that you're hidden from it. Yeah. It's hidden from you. Yeah. These guys have been up there for a couple hours. Yeah. And and I've and they've been gone for maybe 15 minutes, you know. Um so So you guys are on a collision course. <laughs> yep. Oh boy. Yeah. So as I'm walking up uh the one side it comes up the other and we meet at the top 30 feet apart which is a terrible way to start an encounter with a grizzly feet. bear. Yeah. <laughs> you walk further from your car to the grocery store. Holy moly. Super, super close. It's a surprise encounter, which is a bad way to... So you don't want to surprise like any animal, much less the apex predator yeah. of the area. <laughs> and I'm, you know, and 150 so pounds, 17-year-old. It, <laughs> it did not know you were here. So it's no. it, literally you're both... We're Startled both surprised. and surprised. Yep. And the bear and I both had the same reaction once we saw each other and recognized more or less what we were looking at, which was <gasps> like the bear and I both kind of like flinched back and looked at each other to size up the situation. Moments before that, when I saw its fur, I thought that it was a musk oxen, which, you know, would have been a bad situation. And then when I realized that it was a grizzly bear, I realized that it was a worst, really bad situation. The worst case scenario. And you're in it. Yeah. So I, the bear and I both had that same reaction, and I flashed back to to all of the all the stuff we'd done to prepare. You know, talking through what you're supposed to do when you see a grizzly bear. And I thought about the bear spray, and I thought about taking it out, and I thought about taking out the safety and pressing the button, and you know, spraying this this mist of uh, of bear spray towards this bear and uh, that bear spray was in the tent so I couldn't use it it's not <laughs> doesn't do any good at all <laughs> if it's not on you oops yeah so um, that's uh, definitely something I do different now when I'm in the wild <laughs> so, so your brain me. your brain goes right to the training right to what you've talked about a hundred yep. times yeah but unfortunately you don't have it yeah so I, then it falls back to the next step which is don't run Whatever you do, don't run. Speak calmly to the bear. Back away slowly. Try to show it that you're not a threat. And don't run. And the one thing that I wanted to do was get away from that bear, and I wanted to run. So it was very um, hard to 
overcome that kind of instinct to just get away. Bears can run at close to 40 miles an hour, and I right. can maybe run at 17 miles an hour. And, you know, what happens when you get to the ridge? Um, I'd go tumbling down. So Yeah, you just talked about the, the, the switchbacks. You know, you came yeah. up and the climb you did and everything. Yeah. So what do you probably, do when you get to the edge? Yeah, it probably would have caught me before then. And if you do run, like I said before, I, I think uh, it kicks in their chase instinct and it becomes, you know, instead of a defensive encounter, it could become a predatory encounter. Um, I mean, we're talking bad. 30 feet. We're not talking 30 yards or 300 yards or right. like, hey, bear, and you're swinging your arms and backing off where you can right. get to that edge. We're talking 30 right. feet. Yeah. The decision is just forced on both sides you know i don't (laughs) there's no opportunity for me or the bear to really be like you know what let's just let bygones be bygones and and head our separate ways that is an option but um (laughs) it didn't decide to take that one wow yeah but at 30 feet you're both surprised right he's an apex predator and what's he going to do is he's going to protect himself and his turf exactly i don't think he's he's not going to go Hey, Alex. Good, (laughs) Alex. I'll give you the way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Why don't you go? Yeah, so, I mean, that's what I said, though. I said, hey, bear, whoa, bear. It's okay, bear. And uh, I probably didn't sound calm. calm. I'm sure I was shaking. (laughs) I don't think I can impersonate myself (laughs) at that time because my pulse was just going crazy and my adrenaline was just off the charts and mine is right now yeah it was terrifying it was absolutely terrifying so i'm backing away slowly trying to sound calm and it did a couple stationary bluff charges where it would launch onto its front paws and just grunt (laughs) you do the old wolf yeah right (laughs) yeah and it you know it's trying to see what i'm gonna do and i kept doing the same thing and backing away slowly and basically it faded from stationary bluff charges to a full speed charge and i kind of watched it's watched watched its expression and felt like I could see it kind of shift. You could at one point in yeah. the book. You talk about that. You could literally see. You were so literally lasered in on it. You could see that shift from okay, he didn't get me on the first charge or two because those are bluff charges. But something here changed. Yeah. It, it and that you know I mean if you talk to other people I'm sure they'd say, <laughs> well yes but um, but that's that's the way that I I read that situation was it was it was doing it one way and then it changed and it went to a more aggressive like made a decision like now it's I'm gonna have to me. go to therapy after yeah this. <laughs> we can go together <laughs> so it made that that shift and and i faded from hay bear woe bear to yelling obscenities and help and i knew what my options weren't which was i couldn't run i couldn't use the bear spray because i didn't have it and I kind of, I, I didn't really know what to do at that point. You know, people talk about, oh, you can play dead. And that's certainly, um, you know, within the uh, the realm of, of one thing that you can do. Um, but there's a, there, isn't there a camp that's, hey, look, let's look really big or let's play dead? There's yeah. another camp. Yeah. So typically with Grizzlies, you don't want to be like, hey, I'm in charge. You don't want to make yourself big. If there's more people, that changes. Like if you've got a group of people, you want to be like, hey, Bear, get out of here. Like go away and prepare your deterrent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, when when it's just you, um, it's a little bit different. So like the the typical advice is, you know, give the Grizzly the the ground and uh, don't try to intimidate it. Um, so, but what I'll say to that is anytime you're going into Grizzly, talk to the Rangers for that area and, and, uh, find out what they suggest 
you should do, what you should carry, because um, different areas might have different requirements, and they might have problem bears or things like that. But sure. Um, but jump. my <laughs> assumption is this bear has never seen a human being right. before. Yeah, exactly. This isn't a problem bear. It's not acting. It's acting so normally for a grizzly bear. <laughs> I don't know grizzlies very well. I can just read what I read, right? Yeah. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it looked healthy. It was of good size. It wasn't enormous. It wasn't, you know, it didn't look like a tiny bear. Um, you know, some bears... Five, six hundred pounds is not small. No, it's not small. It's definitely not small, but it's not like a Kodiak, you know, coastal Kodiak. Right. It's like 1,200 pounds or whatever. I mean, I never, I, I did not look at this bear and say to myself, man, that's a small bear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that never crossed my mind. I can whoop his butt. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like we were just recently at the Lake Superior Zoo and, and those bears are smaller than the, than the bear that okay. I had. So been there. Yeah. There's, so these are smaller than your, your buddy. Yep. Yeah. It, they're more, they're more trim. I don't know how much they actually weigh. Um, and the way that I've gauged the size of my bear is by going to zoos and looking at a 600 pound grizzly bear and being like, that's what, that's what mine looked like. It's a scary situation. So it's Whoa. charging at me. Yeah. And, uh, as it got closer, I could feel the ground shaking underneath me from its paws. And at this point I'm, I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm yelling, I'm yelling help to the guys um, I'm yelling no, cause this is just a terrible situation and it's not how things are supposed to go and just trying to, trying to get help and, um, not sure what to do. And when it was five or 10 feet from me, I thought that this distance was longer, but then as I was working on the book, I referenced the journal and I said five to 10 feet is when I had my Pelican case in my hand, this bear's coming at me full speed and it's the only time I'll throw my camera. It's also the only time a throw mine hit something it was supposed to because I was a terrible shot. <laughs> but I wound up and I threw this pelican case underhand and I threw it right at the bear's face and I hit it square in the nose with enough force to turn its head all the way to the side. Pelican case went thump and flew over its shoulder. The bear grunted. Page 131, folks. <laughs> I'm looking at it. I get highlighted all over it. Yeah. It... Uh, I <laughs> I don't know if I can suggest a pelican case as a deterrent. I don't think that would be prudent for me to suggest that. So so you nailed this son of a gun right in the melon. Yep. Right hard enough that to, you turn its head. Yep. Hard enough to turn its head to the side. It grunted. The pelican case went off in the distance. So it couldn't see where I was for a couple steps. And I just, at this point, I'm totally on instinct. And I jumped to the side out of the way and dodged it on that first pass bullfighting style and it missed me and it went right past me by this point its head is turned around again but i'd given myself just a little bit of an opening um and was able to get out of the way and not get barreled over and was able to dodge the the teeth and and the claws even though it was swinging at me um but as soon as it realized it missed me it came at me again with just so much speed that i never thought an animal could have i never <laughs> i've never seen something move that fast so no, none of this none of this i miss the guy and i'll take a look at him it's turn around and back at you right now yep yeah i mean if you think about like a bull runs past the matador and then the, goes off a little bit and then trots around and comes back again it was like nothing like that nothing <laughs> like that okay. no it was just as like a couple steps passed and it was right back at me coming at me again and i was able to dodge it again that same that same way 
just last second jumping out of the way and each time we got closer and closer and it was biting at me and swiping at me and the claws started to started to hit me um i was layered up relatively well so <laughs> uh and i was my adrenaline was going crazy so i knew that i was getting hit and my skin burned from these claws swiping across my back um but i'd find out later that i <laughs> they weren't they didn't actually like slice my skin which was just amazing just hit you hard enough that it just burned because it hit you so yeah it, so hard yeah it actually um melted the fibers on the fleece the fl- there was Are so you... much speed and friction from the claws so there's like these little little melty lines Holy <laughs> crap. of permanent claw marks on there even though they didn't go through it okay weird question do you still yeah. have them yeah do i still have the jacket yeah yeah yep Sweet. mountain hardware <laughs> <laughs> that was a good jacket that's yeah. awesome so um but so I you're mean, in the middle of this right now yeah. he's he's nailed you a couple times by swinging at you his yep. he's missed you with the mouth yep you're like you need to go to running of the bulls in pamplona because <laughs> you're getting pretty good at it by this point yeah you should put that on your bucket list by the way yeah i don't know about that <laughs> okay so he just keeps turning, coming back quicker. Yep, keeps coming back quicker. And each time we get closer and closer, he doesn't overshoot as much. Um, and each time he gets me with more more of the claws. And um, after a, a few times of this back and forth, he gets close enough that he bites at my leg. And I pull my leg out of the way at the last second of the jaws snapshot right next to it. Just clamp. Reading and the book, I totally tried to visualize that. It's, yeah, that's a pretty unique thing (laughs) it's it's i mean it was just it was inches from my leg and it snapped shut oh my god i mean it's yeah thinking back on it um it's kind of hard to (laughs) it's hard to like bring back the rawness of that the intensity of that and just how much force it was shutting and how close it was to my leg because you could hear the teeth yeah. When he missed you and he was really close to your leg when yeah. he missed you, you heard those teeth snap together. Yep. Yeah. And uh, saw a little bit of the teeth. <laughs> and like, yeah, just inches from my leg. And, it, you know, that one, again, on instinct, it was just my leg went out of the way at the last second and it otherwise would have gotten it. But then at that same moment, its paw came up and I saw it just inches from my face, this open palm grizzly paw with claws about to hit me how big is it i mean is it as big as your head probably yeah i mean the meat of the palm (laughs) hit me in like the cheekbone and then the claws were back at my ear so i guess not not as big i mean they're not if you look at like the paws of a of a a grizzly that's a coastal grizzly they're really big but um the barren ground grizzlies are they're leaner and they're just a little bit tighter um, so their paws aren't quite as big as like some of those plaster casts that you see of these monsters. I don't but care. You just got sucker <laughs> yeah, punched exactly. by one in the face. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> There's so much force behind it. And it, so it hit me and I just, my head whipped to the side and I went flying to the side. And that's when I just realized that there was nothing physically that I could do to overcome this bear. Like there's just no Your brain comparison. actually went there. Yeah. It was just going so fast and like there's there's a lot of different ways that you can react to a stressful situation you know you can do um like what i was doing at the beginning where i'm defaulting to my 
to my training or like I'm doing in this situation where I'm defaulting to winging it. Um, you know, you can also have extreme tunnel vision where you just fixate on one thing. Um, and you can, you can just not remember a thing too. So there's a lot of different ways that our bodies will react in a situation. I think mine would have defaulted to that one (laughs) that I had lost my bodily functions. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's one of them too. I mean, (laughs) you know, your body kind of is like this, we don't need to hold on to this right now. And it just opens the gates and And and, hopefully he doesn't like me then. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's a deterrent. (laughs) So he, he, he lets you have it in the face. Yeah. Just a slam. And that's what grizzlies use to take down like caribou and muskox and, and obviously humans and humans yeah and it'll it's a it's an immensely powerful blow and it'll stun them knock them out break their neck or kill them um and with humans it'll do any combination of those and sometimes it'll just peel the skin off like a mask well you're a good looking fella and i don't see anything <laughs> left there at yeah this point so we got lucky i was incredibly lucky um the distance was just perfect um where the claws i mean if, it, if i'd been a couple inches away from it it I would have had uh, just disfiguring claw marks across my face. Um, probably would have lost an eye or something. But it was just the meat of the palm um, that was the majority of that blow. And, you know, one of the claws got my ear a tiny bit. <laughs> no, you were bleeding for a while because you read a little further. Yeah, and yeah. They weren't worrying about that one so much later. No, but yeah, but that, uh, his claw got you back behind the ear pretty good, it sounds like. <laughs> could have been a lot worse though so that was really lucky but that hit me and I just went flying and that's when I really started to to uh, feel that I was about to die um which was just a terrible terrible feeling and and I just didn't want that to happen and you know this wasn't how things were supposed to go for me um and it was just a a really heavy and and awful feeling and as I'm still in mid mid air, it had that same paw and it threw me to the ground hard on my tailbone and its head was right at my thigh and, uh, it bit me. So it got you on the right side. You're actually just so people can visualize what I'm going through right now. You're he, Alex is swinging his hand showing, you know, kind of where he got hit. And then he just literally clamped on to his right thigh Yep, just right, with his own hand, right below the hip and, uh, jaws all the way around my leg. Um, you know, as <laughs> at the widest part of your leg there. And uh, people are like, so the adrenaline rush take care of the pain? I'm like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I felt its teeth go in both sides of my leg and then uh, oh my God. blacked out. Tell us a little about that because it, what, you didn't black, did you black out from, uh, in the book, I was like, well, do you think maybe this was a, as I'm reading, is this a delayed reaction to getting smacked in the face so hard mm. that you blacked out? Mm-hmm. Or are you blacking out because this is your bodily reaction to, I just got half my body in the mouth of a grizzly bear. <laughs> and it, by the way, it's canines touched in the middle. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not quite, but they can. <laughs> they can snap a femur in half, um, which is just crazy and scary. So it got you right at the top of the femur in the hip joint. <clears throat> Yep, oh my. just below the joint. So it was okay. all along the femur there. Um, but uh, yeah, basically um, it's a vasovagal response. So um, the the <laughs> my body just turned off once it felt that. Um, and it's like if, if you faint from getting a, <laughs> a shot, it's kind of the sim- a similar physiological response. Um, but uh, 
it hit my kill switch and and made me lose consciousness. So it wasn't a delayed like okay. loss of consciousness from that. It was that vasovagal. Yeah, and like you know, if you go into enough pain, your body will just kind of you know put you out. I mean, you see that in you know, like surgery scenes from you know <laughs> the 1800s or whatever, where they start to work or start to amputate in the Civil War, and then the guy goes to sleep. <laughs> Similar, similar kind of thing here. So, <laughs> how long did we take an, another nap that day? Yeah, <laughs> thought I'd gotten enough rest. Right. I'm not sure. I think it was a really short period of time, but I I don't know. I mean, overall, I was gone from the group for a really short period of time. I'm talking a matter of minutes from, from disappearing from to Dan coming back to you coming back over. So, yeah. So all of this is, I mean, just it is lightning fast happening. Yeah. I don't know how I got from there to there. You know, maybe the bear tossed me around or maybe, and probably most likely, I did a really good job of playing dead once I lost consciousness. I pract- I'd practiced for hours <laughs> right beforehand <laughs> and every night. And so I played dead at this point. Um, and, uh, and the bear decided that I was no longer a threat. So this is a very classic defensive encounter with a grizzly. If it sees you as a threat, it needs to neutralize that threat to protect itself, like you were saying. And so once that threat is eliminated, um, you know, this bear decided to to get out of dodge and to leave me alone. Um, it can go a couple of different ways, but that's relatively classic. So so he he starts moving away from you. Yeah. You you wake up at this point. Yep. And he's you're kind <laughs> of afraid to like move because oh, he'll still think I'm alive. Yeah. Because it sounds like your brain came back to really quick, but not yep. everything else. Not your ears, maybe not your eyes right away as yep. things started, as you were rebooting the computer, if yeah, you Yeah, exactly. And then I finally got, you know, some of those other senses enough to figure out which way was up and then to see that this bear was still there. But it was running away. How far is he now? So he's probably like 20 feet, 25 feet by the time I see him running away. So this away. is happening fast, and, he, and when you wake him back up and, and you're coming back too and everything. Yeah. I mean, I was in the same place where it had happened, yeah. you know. Um, sometimes people end up <laughs> being taken somewhere, and that's typically more of a predaceous encounter, which is a whole other level of horrifying. But same spot, you know, eliminated the threat, and it starts leaving. Once I see that it's still there and it's still looking at me, that's when I consciously play dead. And I just freeze and I avert my gaze and wait for it to go back over the ridge so that if it turns and looks at me, it won't see me moving. And I just waited. And I was so happy when I regained consciousness and realized that I was still alive. And then I was just so terrified again to see that that bear was still there. And I was just hoping that it would continue going away. And uh, it was really hard to wait. I'm trying to visualize this. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard to visualize this when, you know, you've, you've heard stories about people playing dead and, and all this stuff, but I'm sitting like two feet from somebody who literally <laughs> is walking us through this. It's, it's pretty amazing to just sit here and listen to you talk about this and, and, and w- how quick you could process things. Yeah. I was, I mean, <clears throat> I, uh, I feel really lucky that that's how my... <laughs> physiology worked <laughs> in this situation um because you know we talked about some of the other ways that your brain can just <laughs> leave you high and dry um sure. so i was uh i was really glad that that i had that presence of mind uh throughout really you so know, he, except for the unconscious portion yeah so he runs he, he starts moving away yeah 
I, I read that he glances back at you, yeah. but keeps moving away. Yeah. And what I'm taking into this is that he's like, that's not a threat anymore. Right. Exactly. And keeps going. Yep. Where are you on the pain scale at this point? At this point, I'm I'm happily back at zero. <laughs> okay. I don't feel anything um, right then. I mean, you know, like you're saying, my senses are still coming back. Um, my adrenaline is masking the pain as well. Um, I'm not actually moving the injury. Um, so at this point, you know, all of my focus is on the threat to me that's still there. Um, and then, you know, tr- still trying to get out of this situation. So I play dead until it goes back over the ridge and I do that, you know, excruciating wait <laughs> until it's down far enough so that if I stand up completely, it wouldn't be able to see me. Sure. And, uh, this whole time, I mean, I can feel that things are wrong, but I can't, I, I, it's not like as present as the original bite and it's not as bad as it gets later. Um, but, uh, I, wait for the bear i start getting up and i feel my leg and i realize that it's wet i'm like oh no that's that's blood and that's a lot of blood and i looked at my hand and it wasn't blood it was bear saliva all gooey between my fingers and that was really exciting that it wasn't blood (laughs) and no bacteria there yeah right yeah exactly bear bear mouths are not exactly the the cleanest uh (laughs) they don't have the best dental hygiene you're not bleeding out Right. It's not, I'm not spraying, you know, arterial spray, but regardless, I need to get back to camp. I mean, I didn't have a tourniquet or anything. It'd be a very hard location to place a tourniquet anyway. Even if I had one, that'd be a wound packing situation. Um, but, uh, I knew I had to get back to camp because I, because of what had just happened. And I knew I had to get back there before my adrenaline rush wore off. Cause like I said, I could feel that things were wrong and I knew that, that I couldn't feel what was actually happening. And I worried that if I didn't get back there, I'd be, you know, crawling or dragging or, you know, who knows what. I wouldn't be able to keep running. So I started back, and that was 200 yards away as the crow flies, and the last 50 were 100 vertical feet down. That's that ridge that had taken me 10 minutes to scramble up. And the whole time I'm going back there, I'm trying to be silent because, again, I don't want the bear to realize that I'm <laughs> back in the fight. Yeah. Uh, not that I actually would have been <laughs> able, right. a, uh, capable of fighting at all. But um, trying to silently get back there, uh, not give myself away, and, and just the whole while hoping against hope that I was heading the right direction, um, that I was actually, you know, had my bearings enough that, was, that I was going towards the, the group and to camp. And you did. And I did. I got to the top of the ridge, and I looked down, and there's the tents, and there's the guys, and... And, uh, and that's where help was. Um, so if I, if I yelled at that point, I wouldn't be alone anymore. So how close were you before they figured out that you were screaming and yelling and you weren't just saying, Hey, I got a great picture. Yeah. Oh, by the way, (laughs) by the way, he picked up his camera and brought it back with him. Yeah. I I don't want to send anyone back up there. (laughs) (laughs) That was just like, you're a nice guy. Yeah. What's, what's. What's more odd is that I picked up the summer reading book that had fallen out of my pocket. That's what, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Camera makes more sense. This is there's this a is, certain amount of you know investment there. Yeah, this is all <laughs> subconscious going on. Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm just like you grab your things and go. You know. Um, so yeah. So now I'll you're close to camp. You're screaming and yelling. Yeah. How close are you before they realize it? 
Well, so I was at the top of the ridge when I yelled to them and I said, bear. And they, uh, they were, they didn't necessarily believe me at first. It had been just a few minutes. Um, you know, they'd just been up there at the spot where you can see everything except for wherever the bear was. Alex, we're not supposed to mess around. Yeah. Don't joke about this. They thought I was, uh, fibbing (laughs) and, uh, and one of the guys turned towards Dan and said, I think he's serious. And they exploded out of the tent. At this point, I'm maybe, I don't know, a third of the way down the ridge. Because um, I was, <laughs> after yelling and swearing a few times, I was like, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I'm yeah. coming down. <laughs> whatever they think, I just, I need to get to the bottom of this ridge. Because um, they can, I'm injured. I know that I'm not <laughs> kidding. And uh, they can help me. Dan was, uh, as part of being a guide, um, with Minogen, you have to have a wilderness first responder certification, which is, um, kind of like one step below an EMT and it's specialized towards, uh, wilderness medicine where you're at least two hours away from definitive care. And although you're not typically training for a bear attack victim, that's the type of situation that you are training for just this unknown two hours not 200 miles yeah well two plus okay. <laughs> <laughs> it applies anytime there's more than two hours so we certainly were within that that scope so, so you're coming down the ridge these guys finally realize oh boy he's not messing around here yeah you did you chunk your toes up on the way down the ridge i don't know how i injured my toes but as i was running down i i was wearing chacos um which are you know excellent uh bear fighting footwear <laughs> apparently <laughs> rather gladiatorial i suppose and uh my my right leg is the one that it bit and then the, my left foot was covered in blood and i had no idea where it was coming from and i was just like seeing more every step and not sure what the source was and so i was like well i guess we'll figure that out and um i don't know if it was claws or granite or who knows what but uh yeah they were bleeding quite a bit and as i'm running down i'm thinking about dan and and you know that he's going to need to know what's going on to, to start triaging my wounds and everything and i was like i got attacked by a bear and i got hit in the face not if i'm cut and i got bit in the thigh and there's blood on my foot for some reason and i don't know why <laughs> just this like string <laughs> all of... at once he's got the whole gig now yeah yeah it's like you know we talk about having clarity of mind that's a pretty good little laundry list of what's going on um so uh yeah and and dan came up and, and met me a few feet or like a little ways up from the bottom and and buddy carried me down because at this point i couldn't move my leg anymore as i was going down my adrenaline rush was just waning and my leg was screaming at me and it got to the point where i couldn't move that leg anymore with my leg muscles Uh, it was just excruciating and so i was using my arms to move my leg uh, until he reached me and then um yeah buddy carried me down and and by this point you know the guys had come up with the bear spray and the bear poppers and um the med kit and my sleeping pad and so he laid me down and started doing you know the head to toe exam um which before he did that he he was really it was really important to find out where the bear was because one of the things you need to do is make sure that there's no longer a threat um and uh so he was asking me where the bear was which i didn't know and i was like (laughs) felt like i was getting questions wrong and um and uh, finally, you know, established that the bear was running away in the opposite direction. And so then he could focus on, you know, my injuries and checking out, you know, everything that was going on and, um, and, and working to stop the bleeding and, and bandage the wounds and, um, and everything. And so that, 
that bite was the worst of the injuries. The one of the canines went in a quarter inch from my femoral artery, um, which if it had hit that, it would have. That would have been the spurter. Yep, that would have meant about you know three minutes uh, before I was. I didn't. I, I died from volume shock. So uh, let's fast forward a little bit. Yeah. So now you end up with a lot of, of you know obviously the canines went in. They bandage up your toes on the other foot. Yep. They triage your ear, the scratches on your back. The The big one is on your right thigh, hip. Yep. And, but there's a lot of damage just from the pure power of this jaw coming down on y- your body. Yep. Yeah. They're and as, as we read along in the book, it uh, it's, it's probably more that 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 harmed you than the canines how deep they went and and all that from the you started getting infection yeah dan is doing these checks multiple times a day dan's calling camp they camp did an unbelievable job of of getting all the proper people involved doctors um your mom and dad get a phone call (laughs) yeah very very early on (laughs) um Hi, just calling to say that Alex is okay. Yeah. Well, you're not calling me because they finished this quick. What's going on? But they were very open and honest with your parents. And your parents said, we're going to trust the experts. Yeah. Whether we immediately get you life lighted out, whether we see how it goes, and we're going to trust the the professionals to do what the professionals do at this point. Yeah. And Dan obviously you must have a real great relationship with Dan because he he seems to have taken excellent care of you for being triaged in the middle of nowhere. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, Dan, I mean, I just echo everything that you just said. You know, Dan, Camp, my parents, everybody just handled it really well. Um, you know, and one of the things that we ran into right off the bat was that a helicopter wasn't available. So then it's like you go from a more standard rescue to like a high-risk rescue situation and and with all the combination of of you know dan's expertise and talking to medical control and everything we were able to stabilize me really really well on trail and then and then you know monitor this anticipated problem list of all the different things uh, like infection and ptsd and and compartment syndrome and other you know things from crush injuries and everything so 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 this goes on now they have to get you out of there oh by the way folks and i wish we would have talked about this but i know we're going long because this is just so epic (laughs) is is these guys lost a canoe (laughs) so they're down to two canoes one of their canoes blew away in a storm at night a couple nights before this oh my gosh no a couple nights after After, this after that's right (laughs) after because yes and so they spend a a day where guys go looking for this lost canoe they do find some of the gear yeah food yeah wasn't wasn't destroyed so yeah we're in good shape (laughs) there but you're still injured bad yeah that's the whole trip has changed now yeah the trip is we got to get alex out we got to get alex out safely we got to we got to hightail it to get him out. Yeah. Uh, but we need to also take care of him while we're doing this. And now we're down to two canoes. Yeah. And it's not like it's super comfortable for you to be moving around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky in that I was able to figure out which muscle groups I couldn't move. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to like 
hobble around a little bit and and uh you know the guys just did such a great job of you know <laughs> pulling the extra weight and you know that canoe getting lost was just during this epic storm i actually a few years ago found some historical satellite footage of this storm that we were stuck in the tundra is kind of a desert and there's not a ton of rain but it rained nonstop for three days when we were there and that's what we ended up how we ended up losing the canoe was just this water level rose up during this storm and um and uh and then we ended up <laughs> it ended up blowing up and floating away um and uh it was while we were stuck in this storm that you know uh things kind of took a turn as far as the injury went and and uh so infection starts yep doing its ugly thing yeah and we started we had antibiotics with us and it started we started treating it and um it grew resistant to those and at that point that's when the switch gets flipped and it's uh you know we're calling a helicopter again um once the storm clears so folks if you want more of the details on all of this <laughs> there's you, a lot <laughs> you need there's a ton we could be here for a week you need to buy the 29th day because we're we're missing a lot and, and it's like i want to keep going and going but you, you, they need to just buy the book yeah. and and you've also done a voice version of the book yep so Let's let's fast forward a little bit for yeah. everyone. So you make it to the point where you, and there's a decision made that somebody has to go with you. Yep. And obviously, this is going to be a buddy for life who yep. says, <laughs> "I'm gonna I'm gonna end my trip and go with you, buddy." Yeah. And 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 we're getting you out of here. We're getting you to to care. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, "Oh, so who who are you gonna who's gonna go with you?" Um, and so I uh, I said, "Well." Um, Mike Aragi and uh, Dan went and talked to the guys and um, Mike uh, stepped up to the plate and, and took on that role and um, you know I couldn't have asked for a, a better um, <laughs> trip mate and companion uh, to go along on on all the stuff that happened after that you know helicopter ride and going to Baker Lake and <laughs> down to Winnipeg and yeah just how long were you that. in the hospital in Baker Lake? Then how long were you in the hospital in Winnipeg? Yeah, so Baker Lake's a pretty small town um, with a small medical center. So they had capacity for to take care of me for about twelve hours. They I needed a lot of um, IV antibiotics and post exposure rabies shots and things like that. And they had a finite amount of supplies, um, and they wanted to have me in a, <laughs> a larger facility for if things didn't go well. Um, so after 12 hours, I went down to Winnipeg and then, um, that's actually, a long way. Yeah. How long of a flight was that? Uh, I don't know. It's one of those flights that goes up and down every hour. So it's like you're in a train. There's like a stop at every little tiny town along the, along Hudson Bay there. Um, but yeah, it's a long journey. Um, and, uh, made our way down to Winnipeg and my parents actually picked us up there. They had the opportunity to to do that, which was really cool. And, um, spent about 16 hours in the emergency department at Winnipeg health sciences center. Um, and they were able to do everything that needed to happen there. Uh, I didn't have to become an inpatient there. So okay. 
I got more more IV antibiotics and then got sent home with, you know, <laughs> a bunch of horse pills. So seven-hour <laughs> seven drive back to the Twin Cities. Yeah, we actually went back to camp. Um, oh, you did? Yeah, so we went back to uh, Minogen via Grand Marais Hospital. So I, like, checked in at a couple hospitals on the way to get dressing changes. Um, and then um, the health officer at that point at camp was a nurse and had, you know, instructions on how to continue my care and, and continue my post-exposure rabies series uh Fun. yeah <laughs> which back then i think it was like seven separate um uh injection times um over the course of however many weeks um so <laughs> so i think it's down to three now so it used to be 21 you make it back to camp yep you heal up yep you start your senior year of high school Yep. <laughs> Everyone gets a paper. What'd you do over the summer? Yeah. You win the blue ribbon. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, what, let's look at long term now. This is quite a few years ago. Yeah. Any uh, things that are, are haunting you <laughs> this many years later or, or, or any issues? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so physically, I had, you know, I healed up pretty quickly. It was two months after the attack that I didn't have to put on a Band-Aid anymore. So that was nice. And then uh, I had um, some range of motion issues that uh, resolved after some PT about a year later. So I got back my full range of motion and pretty much the same strength. Um, so, it, uh, you know, I feel some lingering uh, pain if I don't, uh, <laughs> if, if I sit in one spot for too long. <laughs> so I just sure. got to keep moving. Um, you know, overcoming the kind of psychological aspect took a lot longer. Um, I knew that it, this had the potential to keep me from going outdoors and, and from exploring the wilderness. Um, and I, and I knew that that's something that I wanted to overcome to figure out how to, to deal with that. And so, um, I was really, you know, again, fortunate that I, my family was really supportive. My friends were really supportive. And I was able to go into the backcountry, you know, in controlled situations um, and kind of build up that uh, that comfort level, starting out with like a cabin. And then, you know, the next year we were going to the Boundary Waters and I looked like Rambo with a tactical vest and bear <laughs> spray and a machete and all kinds of useful things. <laughs> but People just all like, uh, what's wrong with that, that guy? guy? <laughs> Are you paranoid? Well, yeah, I just don't. No repeats. Yeah, right? exactly. People kind of look at you funny. But, uh, you know, I kind of I needed those at first, um, you know, in addition to the support of the people around me um, to, to get back out there. And I was gradually able to peel those. Uh, layers away to the point where, you know, I'm able to operate in the woods um, comfortably. And I was able to That's awesome. go back to, uh, yeah, yeah, really fortunate uh, and grateful that that's the case. I was able to go back uh, to Minogen and work there for a few years, um, you know, guiding trips and uh, working as an in-camp staff. And um, then when I, you know, was no longer at camp anymore, um able to put those skills to use with the St. Louis County Rescue Squad here in northern Minnesota, um, doing search and rescue in the Duluth area, Lake Superior, um, all the way up into the Boundary Waters. So helping other people out uh, when they're in a jam, um, you know, and putting putting my experiences putting, to use. Putting your experience to use where you can help calm them down instead of coming up and going, holy crap, you look like hell. Yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly. That's uh, that's part of it. Part of it's, you know, keeping a calm scene. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. 
this, pretty, this pretty is unbelievable. Fortunate. And you've done good things. You've been back to the Boundary Waters. Yep. Any bear experiences in the Boundary Waters since then? Any bears in camp with the bags hanging, whatever? I have not. Um, I've uh, had, you know, <laughs> lots of sites where you see plenty of bear signs. Sure. Um, one of my uh, big things with bear safety is preparation. And, of course, there's some problem bears, and there's some problem bears this summer. Um, but, uh, the biggest way to ensure that you and the bears are safe is to, you know, ensure that you're storing your food properly, not mixing sleeping areas with food and, um, exactly. making sure that the bears can't get it. Cause once they do and associate people with come food, on, they're black bears. they got nothing on you. It's like, <laughs> really? Is that all you got? <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, it's a serious subject. It really is. You know, we're yeah. laughing because you know, what you went through and, and survived and can tell the story, but it, it's a serious subject and Definitely. people need to be smart about it and, yep. and, uh, and, and just really use common sense and sometimes stuff happens, Yeah, you know, out there and, and whatnot. But this is, yeah. we're so happy that everything is good. <laughs> Me too. Got, uh, yeah, <laughs> probably a lot more than us, right, Alex? Um, but thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your story with You're us, welcome. your story with everyone. Uh, everyone, you know what? Come on, the 29th day. <laughs> a lot of places you can buy it. I know a couple. One's DuluthPack.com. <laughs> One is the Duluth Pack store, which is our <laughs> flagship store. But there's a lot of places you can buy this book. I can tell you, I couldn't put it down. And I'm not saying it because I'm interviewing it, because my whole staff knows about it. And a whole <laughs> bunch of them want this book Awesome. from me now and it's like no you cheapskates i bought it <laughs> go buy own. one yeah <laughs> exactly uh but thank you for signing it thank you thank you for being here this is unbelievable first person i've ever met that's been mauled by a grizzly bear <laughs> and and can sit and, and laugh about it and you know it's interesting because alex and i've been at trade shows where there's adventurers that come and they they get on stage and they tell their story and all these things and i asked alex the other day when we were talking i said you ever feel like yelling out? And it's like, yeah, but you haven't been mauled by a grizzly bear. You know, big deal. You climbed, you know, a big mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I survived a grizzly bear. No, they're all awesome stories. They're all yeah. great on their own. Um, but it's, I've always thought that since, since, you know, the book and since we talked and, and I found out all these years, I didn't know that you had been, you know, it's like, I know you don't go around telling people, Hey, you know what? Nice to meet you. I've been mauled by a grizzly bear, but, yeah. but I mean, oh my gosh, this not is until I'm, now, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Oh, I'm not going to sleep tonight. No, I'm going to be having grizzly bears in my mind, but thank you so much. We appreciate all your time. Folks support it the 29th day. It is a great read. It's a great book. You can visualize all this. And he is an awesome human being. This is great. Alex, thank you. Thank you, Tom. It's been a lot of fun being on here. So I appreciate it. We appreciate you being here. And folks, until next time, unplug from the indoors and recharge in the outdoors. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leader of the Pack. Don't forget to rate this podcast, and we would certainly be grateful if you'd give us five stars. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow Duluth Pack on social media at Duluth Pack. And shop online at DuluthPack.com. Don't forget to support American jobs and buy American made.